Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisela. Hi, welcome to Business as Unusual. Today, I am very excited to introduce Lillian Zenzi, indie author and third guest of the third season. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I am delighted that you are joining me today. I have been pestering this wonderful human to join me on a podcast for a very long time. Before we dive into the delight that is the work that you're doing, I want to ask, what's the tradition you enjoy? Uh, well, since we're still in sort of New Year season, my favorite holiday tradition is our family New Year's Eve. Um, we have our local NPR station plays Beethoven's symphonies in order from 6 p.m. until midnight on New Year's Eve, ending with the Ode to Joy of Midnight. And what we do is we get fancy cheese plate together and have sort of easy snacks and play board games and do puzzles all evening until New Year's. It's my, it has, has become my absolute favorite way to turn over the year. That really sounds so lovely. And cheese plate. <laughs> yeah. So I, when I was in high school, I was an exchange student in Germany, and my host family were musicians, and they actually did a, campaign a political campaign to try and make the ode to joy the new uh, german national anthem so oh, I love that. yeah they were on the radio a lot and talking about why they thought because there's a part of their national anthem they're not even allowed to sing anymore it's illegal right. and so they were they were saying you know this is such a beautiful song it's written by a german composer and it shows a way to be in the german spirit that's fully embraceable so I thought that was such a beautiful thing. At any rate, so can you tell people a little bit about, I usually say business, and I feel like this is also artistic endeavor business. So however you want to just, you know, talk about that. I am an independent author of queer science fiction, fantasy, and romance. What that means is that I not only write the books, but I do all of production and publishing work myself. Not entirely alone. I hire and trade work with a number of artists and editors um, and marketing professionals um, to help produce my work. And it is very much, there are two sides to the work. One is the creative artistic side and the other is very much a business. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I mean, novels pay a lot, so I can see that. <laughs> oh, we can hope. <laughs> yeah, I've not met very many writers. I've met, as a reframe that, I've met many authors and I have yet to meet one that's in it for the money. And so <laughs> that's not a, it's no, a passion it, endeavor, even when it's your business. Absolutely. If you are in it only for the money, you don't last very long. There's sort of a, a series of rude awakenings that, that get you pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. So what does success look like to you then? Mm. Well, I feel like I should preface this by saying Spark and Tether is my first novel. 
and everything I told myself with at least the first book, everything is an experiment. Right. There's no, I keep, my expectations are, are very open for this book in that I am not necessarily committed to any particular path or process. I am just trying to see what will work for this book at this time mm-hmm. and for me. So right now, what success, what success looks like is finding answers to those questions and finding my readers, connecting with people who are looking for the same kinds of stories that I want to tell, producing work that is meaningful to me in ways that feel sustainable. One of one of the challenges of being an author of any kind is there's this big pressure to produce more faster, bigger, and sell more and sell harder and, and just keep increasing and growing. And a lot of the pieces of that particular puzzle are just completely outside of your control. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I am focusing on is keeping my process, whether that's the artistic side or the business side, sustainable for me personally, meaning I turn my devices off and I go have a life outside of them regularly mm-hmm. and on a schedule and in a way that keeps me functioning. And I think for any, honestly, creative entrepreneurs, the entrepreneur that is a hard one and significantly important lesson to take in that the more you love something, the easier it is to let it run your life in a way that is not sustainable, that takes away that which allows you to generate whatever that is. So props, super big props, because that is a... Thank you. I I, I don't know. I do business development with a lot of small businesses, passionate people, and I feel like I'm not honestly not great at it always because I love what I do so much. <laughs> <laughs> and like you don't say I think and I will I want to make a um, so I've read I was privileged to read the advanced copy of Stark and Tether no spoilers here but highly recommend and I also read your first novella which was an ebook only and it, it was both of them for me touched my heart in such a comfortable way it like that that opening and but there's a trust in that so i just for you for those of you if you're looking you know the physical book spark and tether you can get it this week comes out on the 19th right yes but if you're listening to this you're like i gotta go on right now you can go get the ebook metamorphosis the green and gold and you can have it done it's like 90 pages you need to read for a january afternoon under a cozy blanket Metamorphosis, I think, is currently available as a free download on my website. Um, and there will be, there are ebooks of Spark and Tether available as well um, on the 19th. Nice. Right? So join me. We have a little book group, guys. It, uh, this is business as unusual. It, what would you say is unusual about what you're doing? This, I, so I've been thinking about this question since you asked me to be on the podcast. Because the honest answer is, I don't know that. Reality is there are hundreds of paths and approaches to publishing. One does it a little bit differently. Lots of people will tell you that they're 
there's one particular way that works better than others. And reality is there is so much um, luck and timing and outside influence. It's very difficult. It's difficult to, um, to necessarily pinpoint what normal is. Mm-hmm. For example, when I first started writing Spark and Tether, I had no intent of publishing at all. It was just, it was a side project sort of during a very tumultuous time of my life. It was just a little space in my head of a story that was just for me. Mm. And I I had friends who were publishing stories on web serial apps and I'd started reading a lot of web comics again and I was really intrigued by that whole setup and that system so I started publishing my first draft as I wrote it on a web serial and I learned very quickly that I actually really loved having readers involved and engaged in the story early in the process which was not something I had ever done before I um Previously, I would hold work very close and not share until I was very confident that it was done and ready to go out in the world. So releasing something in a very raw form was a huge step outside of my comfort zone. And I realized near the end of that process that I was actually committed to this book and this story and turning it into a real novel, so to speak. Which is where a lot of the real work starts. That's not a particularly unusual path. Lots of people have mm-hmm. independent publishing, doing my own production work, etc. There are thousands of people doing mm-hmm. it. Think where we see where we start to see real change is actually in those numbers. It's not necessarily what I as an individual am doing, but when there are thousands of authors selling direct to readers and thousands of authors hiring their own editors and artists, we see shifts away from corporate production. And retail outlets that are monopolies that are out for their own best interests and not for this so diplomatic. Not, not in ours. <laughs> Trying not to name names, but we all know who we're talking about. And, and as an example of what that difference looks like is if if a hundred people buy a copy of a book from big online retailer has largely monopolized the market. Uh that that results in a very small amount of money going back to the author and it is nothing to that retailer they don't it's it doesn't actually change their change their numbers in a significant way if 100 people buy a book directly from an author from their website and for my book that would fund most of the art and production costs for the next book it's an enormous change in my bottom line Mm -hmm. 
and I, the more of a, the more that we are, the more that we're able to work that way, the more that we're able to shift readers from buy from buying from Amazon to buying directly from us, the more we're able to fund ourselves. Mm-hmm. And one at a time is the way that we make that change. Yeah. And that's a lot of the sort of business development groups that I'm a part of that are invested in this concept of shifting business. We One of the things that we talk about from a practical and philosophical standpoint is that if we want things to change, it has to be that slow one-to-one because becoming a behemoth to fight the behemoth does not actually work. Right. And so those of us who are invested in a different way are both unlikely and also sort of against becoming a behemoth, <laughs> which means that it's our collective action that creates that shift. And it's not as dramatic. And I think that's one of the things that, and I'll say that I find that was reflected in the stories you tell that the, it's not this dramatic, high, shoot them up, action-y, grand gesture kind of um, storytelling. And it's not that, it's not that kind of change. It's more of the, the slow, steady, day-to-day, what's the opposite of a grand gesture you know, mu- mundane kindness. I, did, I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I might borrow that. You are welcome um, to. Well, but that's the, and it's harder, right? Like that's the old saying, you know, a lot of people are willing to die for a cause, but are you really willing to live for it? Because it takes so much more to do. It's actually very intentional. One of the things that I start with when I sit down to start a new story, try to distill the rules of the world I'm working in to their simplest pieces. And for the Synchronists universe, which is Spark and Tether is the first book in a, a new science fiction series. One of the rules for that world are we get the systems we build. And so there's nothing in the in that storytelling universe that is just not that there are no accidents, but that there there's a cause and effect to the choices we make and the behavior that we choose to emulate. Can you draw an example in some way? Is that interesting? I think I understand what you mean when you say we get the systems we build. Is there a way that you can demonstrate what that doesn't look like or what it does look like? Um, Like in the book or in the here and now? both either <laughs> so, it just caught me attention and i can't quite conceptualize it and i'd like to have a little bit more grounding in it so one of the things that i was thinking about as i wrote this of uh, being where we are late stage capitalism and the way that the structures we have around social support networks or the lack thereof things that were intentionally created or destroyed to serve a very particular set of people. Mm-hmm. So in the book, what I'm 
in constructing that universe, one of the questions I kept asking myself was that if we actually set up a system of supports, how does that change things? If we're, if people aren't, um, people aren't worried about where their next meal comes from, if they're not worried about how they're going to pay the rent, if we're not worried about access to healthcare, if those things are truly considered basic fundamental human rights and get addressed for anything else, what could those worlds look like? I don't know. And then we don't get any of that if we don't build it. Right. And that is not built by individuals. Right. One of the things that I've talked about with other creative entrepreneurs and authors, I think, is that in order to create a different world, a different way of doing things, we have to imagine it. And so it's one of the things that I really appreciate about the artistic endeavor is the ways in which it can give us a chance to see what would it look like if we had a world in which people weren't scared all the time how would they behave what would they choose and how would that affect your day-to-day it becomes important i I, i've loved dnd so for everybody who thinks i'm serious and mostly serious (laughs) i And a lot of times your backstory when you create your character is all about trauma. And the last long campaign I played, I decided to create a character whose entire backstory was that they were loved, loved, accepted, and fully supported by their family. They came from just this 100%, 100% human. I mean, let's be clear, they fought with their sisters or whatever. But the, the basics were just there. And then... How does that contribute to the risks they're willing to take or the ways they do and don't trust people, the expectations they have of the universe? And it was the, it was a really fun exercise to see the ways in which I saw that would show up in the world. And sometimes the other players would be like, why are you doing that? And I said, well, I don't think it's a good idea, but she totally does. Because <laughs> she she's not that suspicious. She's not that, but she's not like instinctively suspicious in certain ways. Because it's kind of a fun. A fun exercise. So I love that. I appreciate that you made a world where that is sort of an expectation because I I love playing a character on that as a family expectation. I'd love to see a world. It sounds much more sophisticated when I talk about it now. At the time, what it often looked like was something would distress or annoy me in day-to-day life, and I would decide it didn't exist in the book. So (laughs) that's it. If it irritated me, it was out, right? And that that shows up in in little ways of this. And this is mostly not a lot of this is actually on the page. It's sort of like background in in the universe. But things like there's a minor side character who uses mobility aids and switches between different types of mobility aids depending on um, our need at the moment. And... They're just available in 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 public spaces or uh, sports stations, or they're just like things are freely available in case people need. Mm-hmm. It's it's not discussed. It's not a it's not a focus of the plot in any way, shape, or form. They're just there. And then there's an other piece where character 
people communicate often by implants, which makes it very difficult to lose your phone if it's, you know, actually. <laughs> I like that. Physically connected <laughs> to you. Right. But one of the other things those implants are able to do is to manage sensory stresses. Mm-hmm. So characters can change both adjust their environment, but also adjust their internal experiences of the environment to keep themselves happy and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And a- again, this is not, it's not something that's a major point of the book in any way. It's just, uh, I don't like crowds. I don't like having to be in crowds. And I had a, I had a day where I was like, I just, um, I just need something a little bit better than the noise canceling headphones to like, deal with this level of noise and activity around me kind of thing well and that's uh, imagining that world i I do think it gives us a possibility i i was looking at a a list of someone has those like 29 cool things to buy and i don't know why it gets the qvc and and (laughs) the one of the things uh, there were two or three things that i remember as a kid, seeing in shows, like they, they have a little portable translator. It's essentially a universal translator, like from yeah. Douglas Adams or Star Trek. And, and I, I, you can also do it on your phone, but this one's like verbal. It, it, I was like, wow, like when I was a kid, that was science fiction. And now yeah. it's science fact and it's available to buy for $29.99 or something like that. Just, and so, I feel, and they've done shows, I've seen little reviews where they've said, oh, you know, at Star Trek, they imagine that these doors that move by themselves and you walk up to them. And now we just assume you're going to have that when you walk up to a grocery store. That wasn't real when they imagined it. So we're someone who would like stand there and pull the door bracket, open and shut. And that to me, like it's, you know, it's that, uh, the power of imagining that possibility and then someone decides that they want to see if the, what they can do. Yeah. And and even if they don't get to that, there's going to be something new that allows us, hopefully, to connect function to the world with more ease and opportunity. So I love that mobility aids. And I love the idea of being able to filter things a little bit more instinctively to make it so that folks can engage in life and out without having to be quite as overly conscious of all the impacts on them and others because there's so many different ways of being even if you are quite thoughtful you may or may not know that something you're doing has a huge impact on somebody else and especially if you're just walking past somebody you're not necessarily we're going to find out so i love that so can you share any advice that you've received that influences how you work or how you approach what you do Oh, there's been so much. One of one of the loveliest surprises of it when I decided to go the indie author was how friendly and encouraging and open other indie authors have been. My favorite advice, which has been most immediately helpful, I think actually came from tiktok video and i don't actually remember who's it was a while ago but it was about how to know when the book was done because that is a thing i will tinker forever 
with anything, whether I'm making a promo video or writing a book or um, it's if you are making little fiddly changes that don't essentially improve or change anything real, it's time to let it go. Is there's no end to the fine-tuning language. <laughs> you can do that forever. Yeah. Right. But if you're not actually adding to the story or distilling some important piece of the story, it's done. I remind myself of that. So that's the advice that I've been working. It sounds wise in general as well. But it's once again, when you love something, that a desire to reiterate and improve it is for me at least it's a constant and so learning how to say okay just gonna stop that we're accepting where it is <laughs> that seems very wise so what do you do to recharge or inspire yourself or get into the zone of writing i've been working well as far as getting into the zone i've been working on developing a new ritual to start a regular drafting process. I got so caught up in the production of this book that I have a hard time switching between the business brain and the production brain and the creative brain and trying to get the creative brain restarted. I've been working on a new uh, new ritual that involves making a little like 20 second TikTok video of some I, like making tea. I some, love your TikTok theory. videos. I have a really wise marketing consultant who has been gently but firmly encouraging me to to make a habit like this. Just a small daily TikTok. Um, just sort of say hi and set the tone for the day. And I was grumpy and um, resistant and it works yes. in both making my brain switch gears and in uh, keeping my TikTok engagement, my, my sort of my reader communication going in a good direction. So that's great. I owe her a big thank you. You're welcome. I don't know if you out yourself on your podcast and you can cut whatever pieces of that you like. <laughs> no, I'm trying to be better about sharing that I actually do work. <laughs> I think you should take credit. I recently talked to someone who was like, you stop hiding. Mm -hmm. So thank you. No, I, and I do. I love your videos. They are so fun. Every time I see them, they make my, I always reshare them and like, but mostly because I want more people to have that. I I will admit, like, obviously I want to get the word out because I love what you're doing. And I want other people to have them in their feed because they're just so pretty and they're fun. There's a little moment of uplift. So it's just, it's a win-win from my perspective. I actually really enjoy making them. And I have, in a past life, I worked in um, photography and graphic design. And I never did a lot with video, but there's something about, like, re-engaging part of my brain that thinks about how to put things together Mm -hmm. that has helped a lot with the writing. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that I will encourage people to do, and I was thinking about it this morning, is that whatever... Whatever you do in life, I don't know how to describe this, but as people get to success, a lot of times they stop doing some of the like 
tasks or the mundane things where someone might be really good in their industry and then become a teacher or a speaker. And I've really strongly encouraged people to keep some aspect of where they started in an ongoing way. Like even if you're a multi-million dollar speaker, take a client or do some pro bono work every year so that you stay really connected to where that source of awareness and delight and inspiration comes from. And I, I don't know how to say it because I don't, it's not that I think specialization is necessarily bad or even evolving. And I also feel like when we lose connection to those grounding things, that there's a, there's, I don't know if it's a loss of depth, but there's something shifts in how we connect to what we're doing and how we show up. So I feel like there's a power in retaining small aspects of our skill set and our different passions, even if it's just touching in once a year or finding a way to incorporate it into this new endeavor. So I don't know. I don't think we ever lose that thing. We sometimes just have to evolve it. And it's still obviously rambly in my head because I just had that sort of feeling this morning. It's a it's advice I give to people as they're scaling their business, that make sure you stay connected to your industry or your activities that you're doing in some way now. And then there's this larger sense of not losing. If you love to play outdoors when you were a kid, which I think we all did to a certain extent, make sure you're still getting outdoors or whatever that is that helps you to retain that full spectrum experience of who you are. I think that's really great advice. And I think there's an element of that. That was how I decided to stay independent as an author. And that I am, I spent a long time thinking, Gosh, that seems like an awful lot of work. I think I would rather go with a publisher who can manage all the things. And then I realized as time went on that I, the parts of the process I was most concerned about were things I had actually done in some capacity, both in publishing and in other industries. Mm -hmm. And that I did actually have a lot of those baseline skills and was certainly capable of learning the ones I did. And it has allowed me to stay connected through a variety of different spaces, which has been really lovely in that I have, I had more of a reader base ready for me than I realized. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm excited. So we touched on this a little bit and I, I do want to re-highlight. So this week, Spark and Tether releases. And so if folks are listening and they're just like, whoa, I need this book. I want to learn more about your new project. Can you share a little bit about how they get connected to you yeah. on your list? Get pre-order the book or I guess order it this week, whatever. All of those things. The, the commercial piece that we have to share. And frankly, I know people are going to want. And I'll also put stuff in the show notes, guys. But Awesome. Thank you. Best way to contact me and or to buy the book is through my website, www.liliansnz.com. I'm sure that ISLO will put a link in the notes for us. I am on several different types of social media. TikTok and Instagram are my favorites, but I am also on Threads and Blue Sky. I am happy to chat anywhere. My book is available on most major online retailers. You can always request it from your local library. Um, they do absolutely have access to the book through Overdrive or Libby and through their distributors. And supporting your libraries is a great way to support all of us. 
That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. This was my first podcast recording ever, and I was very nervous, but you were absolutely lovely. Thank oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for joining me, and thanks, everybody, uh, for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.